0: Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow with your host, Linda Nazareth.
1: Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. This is a podcast about work, but today we're actually going to talk about what happens after work, which is retirement. Except the line between the two is not quite what it used to be. With people living longer, with investments not always working out, there are a lot of people aged over 65 who make their way back into the labor force. Oftentimes, they didn't plan to do that, but sometimes after leaving their job, they make the decision that they're not yet done with work. Now, arguably, it would be better for them and for organizations to think about what life post-65 is going to look like before that formal retirement and have a plan, but not many people do. Well, to talk about this blurred line between work and retirement, I have two guests today. The first is Mike Drack. Mike is an author, a public speaker, and a recognized authority on the non-financial aspects of retirement. He has been 38 years in the financial services industry, and then he retired and faced what he calls retirement shock. Since then, he's written three books on the subject of victory lap retirement, the latest of which is Longevity Lifestyle by Design, Redefining What Retirement Can Be. My second guest is Simon Chan. Simon is the founder and CEO of Adapt with Intent, Inc. That's a boutique advisory and coaching firm that helps individuals, leaders, and organizations adapt to the future of work. He also contributed a chapter to Mike's book. I had a great conversation with Mike and Simon. Please stay with us to hear it. Well, has the line between retirement and work been forever blurred? To talk about that, I'm joined by Mike Dreck. He's the author of Longevity, Lifestyle by Design, Redefining What Retirement Can Be, and Simon Chan, who contributed a chapter to the book. Thank you both for being here.
2: Our pleasure, Linda. Thank you, Linda, for having us.
1: Well, I uh, put some description as to who you are earlier on, but I'd still like to hear from both of you. Tell me a little bit about your backgrounds and how you ended up Covering retirement, I'll start with Mike.
2: Uh, <laughs> I, it's, well, I, it's embarrassed but, uh, to say, but uh, I was pushed out of my banking job after 38 years in the industry. Uh, and I struggled for the longest time with uh, retirement transition, and I suffered from retirement shock. Although I I never could believe that would happen to me because I wanted to leave the job anyways. The stress was getting to me. And when I received her severance check, I felt like I had hit the lottery until that next Monday hit. And then all of a sudden, all these these challenges started hitting me. I missed the phone ringing and getting emails and talking to people. And my wife was still working. So I was all alone. I was just miserable for a long time.
1: And then you started writing about? We you sort of transitioning in the writing about it? it
2: the, the writing was, it was almost like it was uh, therapeutic. I was trying to figure things out. Problem I encountered was I went out and I, I got my hands on every retirement book I could, but none of them could answer the question that I was looking for. Like, what exactly do you do in retirement? And why was I feeling that way? They all They only dealt with the money aspect about retirement. And that's why we felt this need and we felt, uh, you know, the message was important to get out to people so we could help them so they can avoid ending up in retirement, hell,
1: like I did. Simon, how did you end up doing this?
2: So I traveled a
0: little bit of a different journey, but somewhat, you know, interestingly related. So I spent the first uh, probably about 20 years of my career in financial services working um, in both insurance and banking. Uh, I led uh, the product area for uh, one of the larger insurers, the Group Retirement Um, area. So I spent a lot of time on the subject of retirement, uh, talked to a lot of uh, plan members or employees around um, their plans for retirement. But similar to what Mike said was we spent a lot of time talking about the numbers side of things. And so in my own personal journey, I got to the point uh, in my career from a corporate perspective that I wanted something a little bit different. And so I decided to leave the corporate environment and moved into a not-for-profit who supported the tech sector. And I thought, oh, this will be something completely different. And what I started to spend some time, uh, on there was, uh, the topic of talent attraction, uh, and the future of work. And one of the areas around the future of work that seemed to be shifting was people's preferences, not just people's preferences, you know, early in their career who are often associated with tech workers, but just starting to study around people's preferences around what they do in their second act. And it was during that uh, time that I actually met, met, uh, uh, Mike, I read his first book, uh, victory lap retirement. I really liked the idea of the fact that it wasn't, um, he positioned it as not a hard stop retirement, mm-hmm. but really as almost a, a starting point, um, for what's, uh, in the next chapter. So I, you know, I reached out to Mike, uh, Mike and I've actually known each other for about, uh, five or six years now. Uh, and we've often talked about this topic of, um, the non-financial side of retirement and the piece that's missing. And so I've since, uh, Decided to follow that passion and and uh, started to work with Mike on this book uh, around uh, longevity, lifestyle by design uh, that we just released. And what we've done is I think it's kind of interesting. We've taken the notion of retirement, but we've kind of put a bit of a, what I'll call a tech lens on it, that human-centered design approach to say, you know, the second half of your life is a pretty complex topic. Uh, and so how do you take a human-centered design to a complicated topic, which is often what tech companies Uh, Do to design your next uh, uh, act. So, yeah, so Mike and I are on this journey together now, talking to people and and creating an awareness around uh, the fact that you need to consider the non financial side of retirement and also the fact that it really, retirement as we know it, it has fundamentally changed.
1: Oh, let's talk about that. You're suggesting that people want to work beyond traditional retirement age and do something different. Is that true for everybody? Because, look, people in physical jobs want to be done. It's a certain kind of worker who, wants to maybe take what they did when they were working and take it a different way. How widespread is the the desire to keep working?
2: All I can say is when I I did the first book, I was scared because my messaging was don't retire, do something else, rethink this thing. And I remember when I gave my first seminar, there was about 100 people there. And I was scared to go on stage because I was going to tell them, forget it. Keep working. It's healthy for you. It's good for you. There's a lot of benefits attached to it. And I was scared. But after I gave the talk, there was a lot of applause because a lot of people don't want to stop working. They just need help figuring out what to do with the rest of their lives. And that's what I really clued into. Because if you think about it, if you have another 30 years to go, which most of us will or more. What are you going to do with all that time? You just can't sit back and watch the world go by. And that's why we put so much thought into this thing. Why can't we create a sustainable lifestyle that's fulfilling, that's healthy for you, that'll make you happy to wake up in the morning and look forward to the day? And that's what we've been working
1: on. Simon, you want to add to that?
2: Yeah, so this is, a, you know, Mike and I have done
0: a few of these. And, and what I love about Mike, working with Mike, is Mike provides that real-life experience talking to pre-retirees. I'm a little bit more of the kind of like data-driven, you know, let's look at studies. So uh, a really interesting stat that I saw um, from a recent uh, study from Edward Jones at AgeWave, uh, which is a research firm on longevity in the States, um, fellow by the name of Ken Dykewald that we really really respect, uh, they they surveyed uh, folks and 55% of people said that they wanna work in some way, shape or form. And so I think, the, I think that uh, it's not everybody. Uh, I think there are different people who want different things for that second act. But I also think when we say work, I think it, we need to be careful about uh, imagining what work looks like as we know it today, right? So when we say work, I think a lot of people think, well, it's that 40, 50, 60 hour per week, very laborious, et cetera, way of thinking about work. But I think the way Mike and I are thinking about work is what are the things that actually bring you joy and purpose and how you construct uh, work in a way that actually serves you as opposed to the other way around, which is today, you know, we kind of serve work. Um, so I think the, even the notion of work, I think we needs to be re- redefined when we think about what that second act looked like. So I think you're right. Not everybody is going to want to um to, to work, but the, the the data is starting to come out to say, you know what, most people are actually starting to think about, you know, work as a component of their second act. Uh, and, uh, you know, in that same study, I think it was, uh, you know, 50, over 50%, again, I want to say 53, 54, whatever the percentage is, talked about uh, the second act as being a, a period of uh, a new journey, a new chapter. So you're hearing words, Serena Williams used the word, I love, she used the word evolve, right? Not
2: retirement, uh, a different way of looking at it. You're right, because it depends on what type of retiree you are. If you're comfort-oriented, no, you know, you're not going to work again. Your biggest goal in life was to reach that retirement finishing line, and you're just going to sit back and take it easy. But if you're growth-oriented in nature, and a lot of retirees are, you're going to need something else, something that will give you a sense of uh, accomplishment and achievement and something that you enjoy doing. And that's why work's so important to people like that. But it doesn't have to be paid work. It could be volunteer work too. As long as you can see that you're making a contribution and your life has meaning going forward, it's so important.
1: And I know, Mike, you've written there's different kinds of retirees. You mentioned some are comfort-oriented. What are the other kinds?
2: Oh, you have growth-oriented. Then you have the ones that I get excited about are the givers. Uh, those are the ones that have a strong need to give back to the community or to help others. And, And uh, those are the ones that get me excited. And it's like what we're doing with the free book. Uh, You know, we're giving it away to people to help them because it makes us feel good. And so that's the difference in work. It's not so much about pursuing money like we used to, but it's pursuing, you know, a a good feeling, a feeling of contributing and giving back, which which is really nice.
1: Simon, tell me about the chapter you contributed
2: yeah so uh it was mike was
0: kind enough as we you know we uh, started this journey he said you know I, i'd be interested in you providing uh, a perspective on retirement uh that is from my generation so i'm a gen Xer uh i'm not uh necessarily close to retirement in, in the way that we traditionally think about it as a full- stop retirement but i do think that uh when we think about retirement the way it is for a gen Xer or for millennials i don't think that's how they're going to see it they're not going to see it as Uh, a full stop retirement. And so the chapter that I wrote um, is really about playing what I call the new game of life. And it's a bit of a riff. There's the Stanford Longevity Center um, has released a a paper called The New Map of Life. And so uh, it talks about the fact that longevity is really fundamentally changing um, how how we live and the infrastructure and the support systems behind it haven't um, haven't, haven't really kept up. And so my chapter is really thinking about, you know, that old game of life that we used to, I think, were the right, right vintage we probably may have played when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you traveled a very linear path. Everybody kind of did the same things. You know, you got a job, picked up your kids, uh, and then, you know, everybody retired at the same time. Uh, and in that chapter, I kind of share a little bit of my personal journey in thinking about, you know, some of the, the, the rules of the game of life that my parents, you know, gave me who are immigrant parents They were very traditional in the way they were thinking about it. And I think because of increasing longevity, because of the way things are changing, um, I think for those who are kind of Gen X, particularly um, those who are even younger than that, the the millennial generation, I think the fundamental rules of how people live their lives, including how they look at retirement and how they think about work um, is going to change. And so, you know, I think purpose, I know that's a big word, but I think purpose is going to become much more, in the sight lines of uh, new talent and organizations, uh, you're starting to see research coming out from, uh, you know, uh, from Deloitte and from the University of Waterloo, uh, one of the organizations I work with, uh, about how Gen Z, you know, they are more likely, they you know, 50% of them are more likely to uh, not choose an employer if their personal values don't align up with them, right? And so, uh, you know, I know this podcast and your passion, Linda, is talking about work and how it's changing. I think. You know, our our view around this longevity lifestyle by design um, is really about how I think all organizations and I think individuals all need a longevity strategy. I think they need to be thinking about how does longevity impact their businesses, whether it be their customers, whether it be their own internal staff in terms of how they do workforce management. And then each of us, you know, we're not really, well, I think each of us need a longevity strategy because the game we're playing is no longer a game that's 60, 70 years long. Uh, it's a game that might be 90 to 100 years long with a 50 to 60 year, um, you know, mid-career. Uh, and what does that look like? How do we make transitions in and out of different forms of, of work and life? Uh, so that that's really the chapter that I wrote was uh, my perspective on that.
1: Well, it's interesting you say that organizations should be involved with, you know, the workers who are going to retire, what are they going to do beyond this? Uh, Mike brought up the issue of I was ageism, I'm not sure if that's why you were forced out of your job or not, but certainly many people are forced out of their jobs because of that. How does this fit into it? Because if we're talking about when people work longer, and yet I hear from so many people that ageism is an issue for them, it's harder to get hired after a certain age. How do you put it together?
2: Essentially, that's why we wrote the book. It's more of a parachute for people that are in the danger zone, so to speak, they're getting up in age. And I know working for a bank, when you turn 55, there must be something on some software program that pops up and says, target. And that's just the way it is. I can't see that changing. So what we're doing is we're pairing people to say, okay, look, this is going to happen in all probability at some point. Be prepared for it and start putting things in place so you can step, use it as a stepping stone to something else, something better. And you know, we're encouraging people Look for for other work to do. You don't have to do the same work or even create your own business, which could be a lot of fun. And we're seeing a lot of people do that these uh, days and they're being very successful at it because they're experienced. They know what works and what doesn't, but they need to have the confidence and the courage to do that because a lot of them feel you know vulnerable or they don't feel like they're good enough or they're too old to do something like that. And that's what we're trying to do is change that mindset Get them to feel positive, both things, have a positive attitude and show them what's possible. And that's why I love Simon's story so much, because instead of Stanford dealing with uh, theory, he's actually living and we can see what he's doing every day and it's working. And that's what I like.
0: Yeah, so Linda, I think I think the discussion around ageism, I think is, you know, I think that's that is certainly you know part of some of the challenges. Uh, I do think that there's going to be some external pressures uh, for uh, organizations to think about, you know, uh, hidden talent pools or, or workforce. You know, you know this as an economist. You know, right now, uh, you know, we're in a very tight labor market. You know, depending on what happens in the next little while, who knows? You know, how that will loosen up. But at the end of the day, I do feel like there's an opportunity for people who are considering a second act where work is part of it. There's a benefit to HR folks to really be thinking creatively about their workforce uh, composition. And, you know, I'll give you a really quick example. Uh, So a friend of mine uh, was a former um, SVP at a a bank out west. Uh, I met him because uh, him and I were were doing some uh, coaching together, executive coaching together. His story was he retired uh, on his own volition. Um, a few years ago, uh, and they offered him a a retiree benefit, a one-time benefit for him to do whatever he wanted with, to to help with the transition. And so he's a numbers-oriented guy. He didn't really know what to do with it. And so he decided to just hire an advisor to give him a second opinion. Fast forward to today, he does some executive coaching. And interestingly enough, he did coaching for the organization that he was working for previously. But it was all organic. It was people who reached out to him independently to uh, do executive coaching. So when him and I talk, talked about some of the work that Mike and I were doing, he said, you know what, like, it would have been amazing if I would have been able to go through some sort of program before I left that particular bank that helped me understand that maybe coaching is an area that I would have liked to get into. And wouldn't it have been nice if I was open to have that conversation with the HR person at the at that bank um, to actually set up a, a glide path for him to actually enter into this coaching space versus it happening organically and for him to, you know, not really fumble, but to a degree fumble through the next Year and a half for him to discover that's what he wanted to do. Think of the employer brand opportunity. Um, think of the um, opportunity to retain knowledge and expertise. So again, I think companies uh, and HR folks that I talk to, uh, you know, uh, all the uh, regularly talk about they can't find talent, and so. I think if we're all going after the same talent using the exact same talent playbook, we know what the end result is going to be. Everyone's going to do the same thing, and we're going to just drive up prices uh, and and uh, and 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 look at the same people. And so, how do we look at talent a little bit differently? I think um, folks who have more experience who are looking for something different uh, in their second act is absolutely a a market that we that could be tapped into. And then I also think about the uh, the potential for intergenerational. uh, mentoring, uh, et cetera. If I think about what I hear from my colleagues who are all you know, uh, managers and leaders right now, they talk about not having enough time to spend with their teams. If you talk to new people coming into the workforce, what do they say? Well, you know, my leader doesn't spend any time mentoring. Well, wouldn't it be interesting to be able to leverage a group of people who ha- are potentially experienced leaders and have experience and wisdom that could share with the younger generation to supplement what leaders have? So again, I think ageism is a challenge, but I think... You know, there will be pressures on the workforce and on HR folks to think more creatively around how they construct um, their workforce to get the work done.
1: Okay, so I'd like to see this creative thinking happening, but it's not really there yet. Right. People are very rigid, not just the companies, but also the individuals, because oftentimes they need the money. They're looking for another full time job. But given that we're moving to something of a gig economy, maybe fewer hours, maybe more contracts, I would think there'd be a good fit here. Do you see that happening? Do you see a lot of contract hiring or part-time hiring of older people?
2: Uh, should, no, let me jump in here. Yes. Yes, I do. But, uh, you know, it's uh, they're creating these lifestyles that work for them. So maybe they make a decision. You know what? I only want to work 20 hours a week. And so they'll go out and they'll contract themselves out to provide services to different companies. And companies love them because, uh, you know, they're a cheap uh, source of labor. But the person providing the work is happy just to be involved with something. And, you know, they're not overly concerned with how much money they're making, but it gives them that good reason to get out of bed in the morning. They can use the skills they develop. They feel good about contributing to a cause or things like that. And it's a win-win. But of course, you know, you have to have achieved some level of financial independence before you can get there. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, that's an issue.
0: Yeah. So, Linda, I think, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the stats, uh, uh, you know, probably better than I do around the freelance market. You know, I've seen, you know, stats like freelance market has grown at a 70 percent rate. I know in the U.S., uh, one of the fastest growing segments of freelancers is uh, the 50 to 55 plus market. Um, I think some of the challenges uh, that those freelancers will face isn't even just simply um, their age. I think it's just the companies uh, are not set up to work with freelancers, right? So you know, the onboarding process, uh, how do we get them on the system? How do we give them an email? All those logistics, I think, are barriers. But I do think that as the freelance market um, continues to grow for all segments of the population, I think it'll be easier. And I do think that Uh, To Mike's point, I think there's a really interesting untapped um, pool of experienced uh, workers who have um, lived experience around leadership, lived experience around a particular market. Having worked in uh, tech for the last number of years, what I find interesting is uh, the number of tech companies who are extremely smart, have great software developers, et cetera, but they lack some of the subject matter expertise of the particular industry, or maybe they lack some experience leading individuals. And so, again, I think about how they can, you know, how they can tap into some of this workforce. Um, you know, again, I, I love stories and examples. Uh, I have a, a friend who was a, a formerly a principal at a, um, at a middle school uh, and she now works for Google uh, uh, on their Google classroom team. She's, she's retired, mm-hmm. right. But she's not retired. And she's, she's a, she's working her second act. And Google loves her. Uh, They love uh, the fact that she can bring some leadership experience. They love the fact that she understands how principals, how the school board, how teachers use the the software. The interesting part, though, is that the reason she got the job at Google was through connections. Uh, Her husband was very connected to the tech space. And so I think there's not natural pathways yet for people to be able to move from um, well, one, they have to recognize that it's not full-stop retirement because, you know, as Mike and I often talk about, the financial services industry has programmed us to believe that once we hit 65, it's about, you know, there's, why would you work? Why would you do anything else? It's time to go and, you know, um, travel, play with the grandkids, et cetera. So once we break that piece, even though um, that barrier might be, you know, eroding, is how do you build pathways for those individuals who have skills to, A, recognize that they have skills to offer, and how do you build pathways to other um, sectors in the market um, for them to either freelance or to, to maybe work, you know, part-time, etc. Um, so I think it's really in an emerging um, area that uh, that's going to that's, that's grow over the next number of years.
1: it be really interesting to watch. Mike, you mentioned that the people can get free downloads of this book. How do they do that?
2: Yes, we're going to be launching it on the 27th. So all they have to do is go to the boomingencore.com website. And just download the book and uh, enjoy it. And, you know, even better if they could uh, share the link with their friends. Uh, we, we feel the book's really good. It's going to open a lot of eyes and help a lot of people figure this uh, retirement thing out. And what I'm really excited to, uh, about, too, is you, we have all this untapped uh, potential resources sitting on the sidelines in the form of retired people that have all these skills and whatnot. would love to do volunteer work but they don't know how to get there they don't know who to talk to and you know once we find a way of connecting these people to various causes and whatnot it's going to be a game changer too so yeah we're very excited about all these possibilities there are some live examples of this uh happening
0: particularly in the u.s so there are some universities in the u.s who are offering um, you know, programming for people who want to make a midlife transition. So Stanford offers the Stanford Distinguished Careers Institute. Uh, Harvard offers uh, a, a program. So again, they're more of the, the higher end uh, universities that are doing this. But there's also organizations in the U.S. like uh, Encore.org, uh, which is about is ge- geared at people 50 plus, uh, and they're trying to create those pathways. So they, Encore.org essentially um, takes people who are 50 plus. Uh, Aligns them with a host social profit organization uh, and helps them find um, you know meaningful work in the social entrepreneurship sector. Uh, And they have corporate sponsors that help fund uh, some of the some of these projects. And these people who are um, they call them fellows, but people who are fifty plus actually get paid. Uh, It's not it's not obviously what they would get paid if they were working you know full time at at their you know primary job, but. Again, there is a value exchange there. So I think some of these models are, 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 are popping up, but they're still very kind of early stages in, in what I would consider grassroots. it
1: be really interesting to see how it evolves. We have to leave it there, but thank you both so much for talking to me today.
2: Thank you, Linda. Thank you, Linda.
1: The book is Longevity, Lifestyle by Design, Redefining What Retirement Can Be. Author is Mike Drack and Simon Chan, founder, CEO of Adapt with Intent, contributed a chapter. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to know more about the book and you want the link to download it, please take a look at our show notes. If you want to connect with me, I'm on Twitter at @RelentlessEco. Relentless Eco. Now, if you did enjoy this episode about work and retirement and the issues going forward, please take a moment and leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. That will really help people find us and that will help us continue these discussions. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production.
0: To learn more about Work and the Future and to see show notes, go to theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a Relentless Economics Production.